0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Small Doses, self help from the hip. Small Doses, we're talking that shit. Small Doses, and keeping it real. Small Doses, with me and Nancy Seals so funky what's up what's up what's up i i'm back y'all i'm back y'all i'm back and i'm back and i'm back y'all i'm back to back and i'm black to black and i'm back and i'm back and i'm back y'all cuz i'm back y'all i i'm back and i'm black and i'm back i can keep going y'all i told you we was going to be we was going to be back we was going to be gone for too long welcome to another edition of small doses season 2 you know Yes! Yes. I just laid back in my, like, you know, cavalcade of pillows. I know cavalcade is not the right word, but it felt right at the time. We, meaning me and my crew, have been on the road for the Smart, Funny, and Black Lituation 101 Tour. So if you've been wondering why there haven't been new episodes of Small Doses, that is why. I took my Black Pop Culture Comedy Game Show on the road. We went to 10 cities. I did 23 shows in 14 days. It was... Insane for several reasons, and I want to dedicate this episode, "Small Doses: uh, Side Effects of Being on the Road," to what that experience was like. This was my first tour for my stuff. I've been on tours. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I toured with Q-Tip. I toured with the Cool Kids. I toured with uh, Opal Tree. I've been on I've been on these road but this in particular was unique because this was my shit and taking it to people and taking it to different cities was absolutely eye-opening for just so many reasons but um we're gonna get into jam dropping because we ta- it's, it's it's time to just start the show because I know you ready to get the show started you ready to get the show started jam dropping jam dropping jam dropping So typically for gem drop-in, I basically like compare two things to each other and drop a gem about how those two things are different. And so for this gem drop-in, I'd like to actually share with you all gems that I learned that were dropped on me on the tour. Okay. First gem is how it looks on paper is nothing like how it's going to feel on your body. It is very easy when you're looking at a tour schedule on paper to be like, wow, this looks like it's going to be fun and crazy. But you have to really, really consider what is the human ability to actually do what's on this paper. And that sometimes can be very difficult if you've never had the experience before. So the gem that was dropped on me was just consider more than what you even think you know like when they'll say like when you're reading something out loud like read it slower than you think is normal and that's the perfect speed exactly that look at those dates and whatever you think is perfect trim it a little from that because you're you're not just physically performing you also have to get there then you have to leave and in getting there you also have to get ready so it's like it's like When you're looking at that paper, you're just looking at, I'm going to go on stage in these cities. But you're not considering that you have to get to the city. Then you have to get to your hotel. Then you have to get ready. Then you have to get to the venue. And then after that, you have to get home. And none of that shit ever goes the way it's planned. (laughs) Because in the midst of all that, you're trying to get your life. And it feels like somebody's trying to take your life. It's really that way. Like, I'm telling you, Rebecca looked at me like stop being dramatic, but I'm telling you, like, it'd be snatching your soul. Because you'll be like, well, I'm gonna get there at 2.30, so i have plenty of time. And next thing you know, it's 6.30. And you never took a nap. You All you have a recollection of doing is looking at Instagram. And now you have to do your makeup, shower, eat, and go on stage in a 20-minute time frame. How are you gonna do it? So I suggest from the gem being dropped on that ass, that when you're looking at your tour schedule, that you have to imagine what are the realities of getting these things, these dates to happen versus just the money on getting these dates to happen. Two, eat. Eating becomes so critical and essential when you're on the road because you can't just eat anything and it is very tempting because you're passing all the rest stops you know you're passing all the fast foods and you can get really just like lazy in just eating whatever but if you don't have fuel in your body you cannot manage and it's like tour is not vacation that's That's gem three three. that's That's the the third gem gem drop tour is not vacation You're away from home. You ain't really having to deal with shit at home. But you are absolutely like on a mission to Mars where every day you and a team have a series of checks that need to be balanced. (laughs) You have a series of tasks that need to be handled. And each of you is responsible for that or else the ship is going to crash or you will be flung out into the oblivion of failure. So, it is very important to know that you can have a good time, you can enjoy yourself, but you're not on vacation. What was so incredible for me on this tour was that it gave my self-doubt a vacation for several reasons, but the number one reason it did is because I was coupled with an incredible crew that made it really, really real to me that I am not crazy for having a certain level of enthusiasm and meticulousness about my work because all of them had it. And it was the first time ever where I didn't end the night saying, I don't know why the fuck they tired. I did all the damn work. Everybody was tired because we were all dedicated to showing up and showing out. And I do think part of that is because of the product that we were doing, you know, because of the the, the show itself. I mean, the, 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 the fullness of Smart, Funny and Black and the realness and the authenticity of it is so just like ingrained. And we would go to certain cities and when you would see those grains sprout and blossom into like just unity and dopeness and and like a revival type vibe, you're like, oh, this is why we do what we do. And I feel like I was lucky enough to have a squad on this tour that would have the this is why we do what we do, whether it was good or bad times. And that was incredible. So those are some of the gems that I took on my neck. (laughs) They came right for my neck. The bonus. The The bonus. bonus. Nobody shits on the bus. Okay. Now we had a van this trip, but this is just a bonus from from life. Nobody shits on the bus. If you're on a tour and you got to take a doo-doo, you do do your due diligence and ask to go to a rest stop or clench it. Clench it up until you get to the hotel because if you shit on that bus, you're in a whole lot of shit because it's going to smell. It really is. Yeah, you're like, but it has a septic tank. Okay, it's a tank. So it gets emptied. So until that tank gets emptied, where do you think those, those aromas go? Those pungent aromatics. They come right back up where it left and right into the bus. When I was on the Floji tour, someone shot on the bus, and to this day, we don't know who it is. But if I find you, we're going to have a talk. DMT. We're serving it. All right, DMT time. Y'all came all up in these DMs to ask me questions about the Smart, Funny, and Black Lituation 101 Tour. And I have got the answers. First, someone asked, first question, did you ever get an apology for how trife the venue staff treated you and your team when you came to Houston? No, we did not get an apology. When my team and I came to Houston, we were at Warehouse Live, and uh, we were there, you know, setting up and everything, and one of our guests had come to the backstage and uh, came in and said to the security guard, you know, that they were on the show. And the security guard said, well, you need a wristband. So he said, well, who do I get a wristband from? And he said, Fatima. Fatima is our producer for Smart, Funny, and Black. Fatima was across the street getting food, and... uh she had told the security guard that she would be right back. So our guest was like, okay, well, I'll just wait for her. And the security guard said, well, you need to wait outside. And our guest said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. She's about to be here in two minutes. And he said, well, then I'm going to call the cops. Now, they have detailed cops at the venue. However, those cops have to be called over to be a part of something. Otherwise, they're simply just there. Hanging out. And Fatima gets a call from our guest saying, yeah, these guys just said they're going to call the cops because I don't have a wristband. So she starts bolting across the street. So her and the cops walk up at the same time. She simply hands our guest the wristband. Crisis averted. I show up an hour later, and I'm like, what? (laughs) What? Because that is absolutely insensing to me, especially when we have what's been going on, which is this business of white folks calling the cops like their own private army to handle black people literally just being black people. And the scenario got even more ridiculous when I was outside at, talking to Fatima about it and she told me a dude's name and the dude the dude who like made this happen and he walked up while I was videotaping and while I was talking about it. And when I said to him, why would you call the cops over a wristband? He said, well, Well, I mean, the the cops cops work here. here. So, Uh like, what's what's the big deal? And I said, so when someone doesn't have a wristband, you don't have a different protocol? And there were people in my DMs like, that guy was just doing his job. That guy was just doing his job. No. Let me tell you what doing your job is as security. As security, doing your job is, one, calling the cops if someone is breaking the law. Calling the cops if someone is trespassing. Calling the cops if someone is being a a disturbance, um, a problem, etc. Our guest, who was on the show, was never asked to show proof that he was on the show. There was never any uh, correlation made against any of the materials that had been sent to them. So it's not like he looked at a list. It's not like the security guard looked at a flyer. Nothing. But the reality of him saying you need to wait outside until she gets there is simply disrespectful and untoward i'm not telling y'all that this was some little ass space this is like a big space in the backstage of a venue before the doors have been open and if our guest is on the show then it doesn't mean that you can't just be um accommodating to the fact that this person is waiting to come into the show what we always know is that at the end of the day you got to look at race as a factor especially whenever the cops are involved Bottom Bottom line. line. Sure enough, everybody who came in and was involved in our show, we did two shows that night. Everybody who came in said that they have had issues at that venue in the past. All of them. And that yes, that there have been like, you know, incidents at that venue with rap groups and so now basically they look at it like, well, all black people behave a certain way or whatever. And it's like, well shit, if I believe that about white people then I would never sit in a movie theater with white men. So what are we really talking about right now? And When it boils down to it, you know, we never got an apology. We never got an even acknowledgement that that behavior was unacceptable. And we really got a lot of people in my DMs and commenting saying, yo, like, this is common over here, and this is not okay, and we've seen this happen before. And they were apparently, like, patting down the um, the guests coming in, but they would only pat down the males. And, you know, so there was just a certain energy in that space of distrust that was forged by previous guests that had nothing to do with us. And I really felt like that's just a basic... Uh, uh, advancing of racial profiling let me also include that they tried to tell us we needed to start our show early the show started at eight o'clock and they told us at six thirty that we needed to start at seven thirty because they said they needed an hour to flip the room after the first show and that there was rain in the forecast and that they didn't want to have to quote unquote hear from their patrons who would be standing in the rain getting in for the second show Do you understand how incensed I would be if I showed up to a show that starts at 8 o'clock and I got there at 8 o'clock and it was halfway into the show? So, you know, we stood our ground and we didn't budge. But the other thing about it was that Fatima was, was our producer. And it's not like we were just dealing with racism. We were dealing with sexism, too. Because the amount of venues that simply treated her like, why do we have to listen to you? You're some little woman. Like, that was the energy that was given. And I think all of the venues, like... Dallas, Kenton Hall, that was a, a great venue that treated us so fantastic. The Bell House in Brooklyn, thank you for how helpful you were and how supportive you were. Uh, Kennedy Center wasn't involved in this tour, but they were, all oh, just incredible when we came to do Smart, Funny, and Black there. Thalia Hall in Chicago was a beautiful experience. Like, literally just incredible. They even did, like, a chalk drawing of our logo that was so detailed, I thought it was a picture. And... You know, when you go to those spaces and you're able to do your show and people are just accommodating, it just really makes it so much easier to get your show to the audience when you don't have to basically put on a fucking show before to get the show done. Detroit, same shit. Racist as hell. Told us us I couldn't have a dressing room. So, you know, I don't want to give away all the stories, but no, to your answer, we did not get an apology what we got was people in my mentions talking about oh amanda's just putting up this video of her checking this white boy because she's trying to get clout the fuck kind of clout i I need from y'all clout someone asked who took care of lando while you were on tour important questions important stuff y'all want the news my mom My mom took care of Lando while I was on tour. My mom came out here and house sat for me for the duration of my tour and kept little Lando company. And it was really great because, you know, she was sending me pictures and he was cuddled up. You know, Lando has no cuddle allegiance. Okay, Uh, if he's if you're here with him for 24 hours, he's like, yeah, you're a good lap. Yeah, this lap will do. So I was really happy to see that he was happy and that he wasn't like, who who, who is this? You know, I mean, of course, my mom has known Lando for his whole life. She's, you know, the closest thing he's had to a grandmother. So it's important. But yes, Lando is always taken care of. Even if I don't have someone here, I never let him stay here by himself for over two days. And I always have someone come and check on him and, you know, hang out with him and chill with him. And it's, you know... It's what it is to be a pet owner. It's tough, guys. It's, it's a responsibility I wouldn't give to everybody. I really though, Really. But I love my cat. And one day we will do side effects of a cat lady. One day. Yeah. Meow. Are there things you already want to do much differently for the next round? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the thing about this tour was that it was basically like the tour before the tour. We all kind of considered it that. Like we knew that this was the tour that we had to get under our belt for a number of reasons. One, to show the buyers, you know, that we sell tickets and that we have, um, you know, we have a real, a real stronghold in the market in terms of what we're giving and what people are receiving. Um, Two, I think it would be really great, even though this run we were able to have, like, guests, black spurts from each city, I think it would be really dope to have black spurts that maybe travel with us for a certain amount of days so that there's, like, a certain level of just, like, knowing who you're going to have and knowing what they're about. And, you know, I was kind of flying blind in certain cities because we had never met them, and we had to rely a lot on, like, referrals and, you know, word of mouth and And uh, that's a hard thing to do, you know, because even when we have, like, we have a survey that we give to all of our guests to just let me know, like, their level of knowledge about certain topics, whether it be black music, black television, black history, etc. But even with that, it's like, you just can't account for the fact that, like, somebody's going to show up on some type of drug that you literally don't even know. And they're, like, answering questions, but then, like, they're not coherent, but then they're not drunk, but then they're, like, looking you dead in your eye. Yeah, Yeah, that definitely happened in the city. Definitely. And I would say like the last thing that I would—not the last thing, but the third thing that I would say that I, I really feel like we should change is um, it would just be really, really dope. Like, we had this video screen behind us in Dallas. It was an LED screen, and it was—oh, y'all, it was the livest shit ever. I mean, it just elevated the, the value of the show so much in just one fell swoop that I'm like I don't think we could ever do this show again without it. I mean, we are doing it again without it. See you September 4th. I guess what it is is like it was like I got to see my 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 vision and my love for this show and for Black American culture All on the, the Jumbotron. JumboTron. Like that's really what it was. It's like being on stage with a fucking JumboTron. I mean, and and to see these images you know, just blown up so big was just, whether those images are like, you know, just seeing the logos for the different fams, for Fly Fam, Culture Fam, Woke Fam, and Rebel Fam, or seeing like, you know, this giant image of Martin Luther King shooting pool behind his back, you know, or um, Shirley Chisholm, or a Just For Me box, J-U-S-T-F-O-R-F-E, Just For Me. It was really just incredible. And so like, if I could find a way to have that, at all of our shows, honey, I would do it. I would do it. But I think the the this tour was it was surreal in a re- like in a real way because it's one of those things where like I had thought about it for so long, and then when we were doing it, it was like, oh, this is happening. And then my mom the other day was like, you yeah, know, you I went like on a whole tour. tour. And it's like, it feels like what it must feel like to like go to Mars and come back. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, so now that I did that, like, did I do it? But it's it's like, because you set up for it. And the reason I keep making these like space analogies is because that's what I felt like. I felt like fucking Captain John luc Picard of the Starship Enterprise. You know, seeking out strange new worlds, new lives and new civilization boldly going when no one has gone before. And of course, like, yeah, plenty of people have gone to Atlanta, <laughs> but they didn't go for this purpose. and They didn't go with this project and they didn't go under these, you know, financial constraints, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, That being said, it was like, I just felt like we were on this journey and we weren't really sure how it was going to end up. It was incredibly encouraging to have shows sold out before we even left for the tour. That was mind blowing. But it's still like, yeah, but you better go on and do, do the damn thing. You got to do that. And we did it. And, um, and it's just the beginning. It's really just the beginning. But it let us know that our beginning has a very bright future. Next question. For the Lituation 101 tour, what was one of the challenges you faced that you didn't anticipate? Rebecca just said, well, probably the Houston thing. And I said, no. Because, I mean, we always anticipate white fuckery. I mean, it's just par for the course. What's crazy is when you say that and people are like, why don't you like white people? I'm like, I didn't say that. I actually don't like white people. I don't mind people who happen to be white. I love y'all. Come on. Let's do the electric slide. But, nah. White fuckery. That's specific. I'm not here for fuckery in the name of white bullshit. Clear point blank. Which is wild because that can be done by anyone. An Asian woman was just calling the cops on two brothers for smoking outside of a building. That's That's white fuckery. fuckery. (laughs) But when someone asked what were some of the challenges you faced that you didn't anticipate. One of the challenges I faced that I did not anticipate was people being nervous the Black Spurts being nervous on stage to a point of like silencio. I legit just like was shocked. We had that happen a few times. And I was every time I was like, wow. And it was individuals who off stage would be talkative and cool. And you know, like they're cool with the show and chilling. And then they'd get on stage and just like freeze up. I mean, shit, DJ Drama literally missed buzzing in on an answer where he was the answer. Like, he was legit the answer. But what I realized is that, and it took me a a few cities to realize this, is that the reason people are nervous is less about the fact that they don't have the answers and more about the fact that they don't want to look stupid. And I think that that's, like, so sad to me that you could even for a second think that you could look stupid while talking about your own culture. You know, and that's rooted in the fact that we aren't really taught about black American history, black culture, and we have our own black experiences, but we're not really taught and educated about it in the way that we are confident about these times tables, right? Because I'm confident confident about about these times tables. tables. I mean, I was at one point in time, but we could still hit it with the fives. Ask me a five timetable. Five times nine. Five times nine is 45. (laughs) confident about these times tables all right but you know the reality is that like i'm i am so confident about holocaust history i am so confident about civil war history like uh, there's a lot like there's so many other people's histories that i know like solidly i can give you so many greek goddesses and gods and romans I can run them down. And then I can tell you Roman emperors, you want to talk about Caligula? Caligula, You want to talk talk about Nero? Nero. Right? But when it comes to black history, I wasn't given the same entryway into that because contextually it was not presented to me as something that I should know. It was presented as something like that was just part of the curriculum. But it was not hammered into my consciousness the way that the story of Helen of fucking Troy was. You know, like... There wasn't a a, a context within which that it was presented. We didn't have to do a lot. We didn't have to do a lot of thinking and assignments around it. It was mentioned and we kept it moving. And I know that that's not just me. So what I saw on this road was a lot of folks who I feel like have suffered that same fate where it's like you, you know the shit in a way because of intrinsically just being a black person, whether you're from the diaspora or not. Then you have a certain intrinsic connection to simply just being a black American person and like what you know for your own experience and what you know as being a part of black culture and black popular culture, etc. But then there was just like this idea of like the intellectualism around these things, the smart and the funny and black that I feel like was tripping people up, man. It was making people feel like real kind of intimidated about whether or not they could intellectually discuss these things. And that was what made me also know that we have to keep doing this show. It is imperative that we keep doing this show and that we grow it outside of the show to not just be in places and spaces as the show, but be in places and spaces as a podcast, as panel discussions, you know, as influencers of conversation, utilizing intellect and comedy to discuss the black American experience. And in some cases, the pan African experience. I'm getting real intellectual right now because like over my shoulder, I'm looking at like hella books by hella intellectual black folks. (laughs) It's like right over my shoulder. I'm looking at W.E. Big Du Bois, Trisha Rose, Michael Eric Dyson, Manny Marable, rest in peace, Henry Louis Gates Jr., Robert D.G. Kelly, Angela Davis. I mean, Melissa Harris-Purry. That was unexpected. And it was an eye-opener and it was a a reality check. And it reminded me of my own reality because the reason I got my gra- my uh, undergrad in African American studies is because when I got to college, I realized when I took African American uh, Women Writers 101, I didn't have a comprehensive understanding of black experience in America outside of my own and out- and outside of like pop culture references because the history had not really been taught to me. And because even though I am a descendant on my father's side of, you know, black American slaves, like we don't have a relationship where he is like giving me this information. I mean, shit, I called my father yesterday and he still has not called me back in relation to this question. I called him yesterday, y'all, and said, I want to talk to you about, you know, our lineage. I want to hear some more information. Let's see if he answers this time. Hello, rings, right? I regret not being able to take your call personally. However, if you need me, your name, phone number, and the message, I'll return your call as soon as possible. Thank you. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hello? This is your firstborn calling you again. I would really love to have a conversation to learn more about the lineage on your side of things because we've never really had that conversation. And if you could please call me back at your earliest convenience, I would appreciate it. This is call number two. Bye. So that's like real. I literally just called my dad again, you know, and... um but i just say all that to say that you know to, to answer that question in wholeness like it there's there was just so many levels to realizing like what made people nervous i mean don't get me wrong i think some people just also just like aren't used to necessarily being on stage in that capacity and having to think fast and so like they don't trust themselves so what i you know to to uh, an addendum to that question is i ended up having to adjust in a way that I hadn't anticipated. And that was in how I prepped my guests. Cause typically I just prep them for the show based on the content of the show, et cetera. And I realized that I had to do like an emotional prep, not just a mental prep. I had to do an emotional prep of like, trust yourself. You know, this is a good time. This is in this is this show is is rooted in good spirit and and in celebration. And this audience is here for you. They're not here to judge you. They're not here to like, oh, make me laugh. It ain't that type of party. Like we're literally here as in unison. It's the closest thing to a family reunion. That's not a family reunion that you will ever (laughs) take place. You're like, I don't know any of these people, but they feel like family, right? Because we're all doing the electric slide together. So, that was those were some of those things that uh, that were very very like interesting to me. And uh, when you do work of this type, and it's so personal and it's so deeply connected to you, you always kind of come upon things that are very multi-layered because they're not just production-based. <laughs> they're not just like, oh, we should make the entrance earlier, you know. And so that was that. Thank you for these DMTs. These are really good. But you know what we got to do next, people. I. Motherfucking like people I like. Yeah. So on this road, we did twenty three shows we started with tisha campbell and tachina arnold in la then we went to philly we went to new york we went to detroit chicago then we went to st louis on michael brown's uh on the fourth anniversary of michael brown's uh, untimely murder uh then we went to atlanta new orleans houston and dallas Over the course of these dates, we met so many dope folks uh, as black spurts, people that we'd never met before, people that we have known, people that I've known forever, you know, uh, people that were super duper like surprising. It was actually kind of crazy because in some of these cities, we got the person like the day before and one of those cities was Philly. So I just want to give you all my top three black spurts of the Lituation 101 tour. In, in third position, position Toure of Philadelphia. So comedian Toure literally came on board the day before we left for Philadelphia. We still had not found someone for Philly, and it was like I was juggling shit trying to get the, the LA show done, and realized like, oh my god, we haven't gotten anyone. I woke up in that morning, I was like, we have to find someone today, and I hit up my boy DJ Active. Act, Act what it do? I am on your top. Active is like a DJ for everybody, whether it's Janet Jackson, J Cole. I think he's on the road with J Cole right now. So, Ack was like, "Yo, you should look into Toure. I'm gonna see if um I'm gonna see if I can get his number for you." That's okay. how Ak talks. So, two days later, Ack hit me with Toure's number. Um, I had acquired Toure's number within ten minutes of talking to Ak. <laughs> <laughs> Active literally hit me like the day after the show that Toure was on, and was like, "Yo, I got his number." So. I ended up going on Instagram, and when I went on Instagram, I saw that Toure was followed by my homeboy Sidney Castillo, who's a dope comedian. And Sidney was like, "I said, hey Sid, you know, can you see if um Toure would do the show?" And he Facetimed him, and this is why I love people like Sidney, because Sidney, people like Sidney Castillo, will just like if they rock with you, they're gonna rock with you the long way, okay? And so thank you, Sidney, for just being so willing to like drop whatever you were doing, Facetime Toure. Five minutes later, he's like, yeah, he said he's down. Text him. Texted Ture. Ture's a comedian in Philly. We get there. He was up against the legendary Keith Robinson. And he was incredible, y'all. Like just in terms of like his ability to succinctly get his point across, but then like attach the material, but then be funny. He just was the epitome of smart, funny and black. And he did it in a way that was so like natural and just easygoing, but not lazy. lazy. And he's like super duper tall. So he has a presence, but he also, I could tell just like really respected the show. And it was really dope to see that because when you're coming into these different cities, you don't know how people are going to relate to it. You don't even know why they're necessarily doing the show, right? Like sometimes they're doing it just because it's a good look and you're going to be in front of an audience that's sold out. So like it. Why not? You would just be home watching Netflix. You might as well come out here and say some dope shit. But Torre, I just really want to thank him for setting us off on the right foot. That was our first city that we went to. And he, along with the other black spurts on that show, um, because we had two shows that night, the other show was Chill Moody and my, my favorite Rich Medina. Um, all of them were just so like really about it. And Philly is a town of soul. You know what I'm saying? This is silly of brotherly love, honey. The best drummers I've ever worked with in my life come out of Philly. And we had a dope band. We had a dope crowd. And Toure was a key component to that dopeness because I could tell from his answers and I could tell just from his demeanor how much he truly, truly loved not only black culture, but loved like what we were doing with it and why it was necessary to have this kind of space. So, the next person I'll say, and people I like that was awesome on this road was Latoya Luckett. Latoya Luckett, of course, former Destiny's Child member, been doing her thing with a solo career, recently got married. Latoya uh, is also pregnant and was on our stage and had had like a situation earlier in the day and still came to the show. But I'm not even, I don't even want to talk about like what Latoya was doing on our stage. Y'all, Latoya was so helpful in us getting guests and just like, putting her mind to it and like resources and kitting people up. Like she wasn't getting anything from that. It was just literally like, yo, I got y'all. And it was like, thank you. I I cannot thank her enough for her willingness to just like suggest people reach out. She suggested Kenny Burns who came through and in Atlanta and she was reaching out to other folks that will not, you know, be forgotten, that are they are definitely down to do the show when we do it again, and on top of that, like, she has her own life going on, and then she came through and just did the damn thing. She was competing against Dee Dee McGuire from Dee Dee in the Morning in, um, he, in Dallas, and <laughs> just, LaToya was on that stage, pregnant as hell, having a gosh darn blast, okay? We was singing, we was dancing, we was learning, and as Dallas was our last you know, city on the tour. We wanted to end on a high note and LaToya definitely made sure of that. So thank you, Toya. Thank you. My mom had called me. I was like, I like that LaToya. Look at You can tell she have a nice vibe. The number one black spurt on the Lituation 101 tour. <laughs> Ali Sadiq of Houston, Texas. Y'all, this little man When I tell you we damn near did an entire Broadway production on that stage, the second Houston show was, I'm not bullshitting you, two hours and some change. We didn't even start the show, like the games of the show, until like 35 minutes after my 20-minute opening. Like we were literally like an hour on stage before we had started the show. We had sang like at least four songs from Can We Talk, to lean on me, to uh, to sl- to weak. I mean, it was like, are we gonna? We ha- we got. Ha- I had to stop the show. I had to literally be like, turn to my music director, at DW, who's one of the greatest people of all time, and be like, don't you dare play another song. Don't you dare play another note. Don't even play another note on that bass. Because if you play the right note, I'm gonna turn that note into an entire song. So Ali was so incredible because his comedic ability just, it was like this format was made for him because even when he wasn't speaking, he was still performing. <laughs> he was still performing. I would be talking and he'd be doing like an entire, like, like praise dance on the side or, you know, like we would be singing and he'd be doing choreography. You know, then at one point, I, yo, y'all, I sang, <laughs> I sang, I sang Swing Low Street Chariot in here. Stand. I sang a full-out swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home like a full slave spiritual, and this man Ali was in the back picking cotton, like hailing to the to the to the dipping gourd. It was just. It was another level. But on top of that, he knew answers, was able to articulate, you know, his thoughts. And he was up against DJ Superstar, who was lovely and great. And they apparently are actually friends in real life. So that was also cool to have that dynamic on stage. But Ali just like added another level to Houston that took us to the stratosphere. That show felt like we were performing on one of the rings of Saturn, I know that the rings of Saturn are made up of asteroids that are caught. I understand that, but I'm just saying, like, as if it was a smooth surface that we could stand on, okay? So, on one of the rings of Saturn, I mean, okay, there's a song by a Band of Horses. I took Rebecca so far out. I know I dovetail, but that one I've never seen. <laughs> so, a Band of Horses has a song called Infinite Arms. It's incredible. Infinite Arms is they, you know, the, the dopeness about Band of Force is that they're a very rhythmic band. Like, they have, like, several guitars in their guitar section, so it's, you know, a lot of rhythm going. And Infinite Arms, when I heard them perform it in New York, the way that their set was set up, they just, it's just them on stage, but the backdrop would kind of, like, change based on lighting. And when they did Infinite Arms, it was the last song of the night. And the way that the lighting did was done, you know, they're, they, um... I think they're from like Virginia or somewhere over in the South. But whatever, wherever they're from, they basically converted the stage to feel like the like a backyard in the South. And so like the the back the back was lit like um like lightning bugs were popping. And then they used gobos, which is a, a certain kind of light, to light the ceiling to look like the stars. And there was a moment when they were playing that song where the frequency of the rhythms from the guitar came together in such a way that I felt like I was literally being lifted from my seat into this imaginary sky that they had created. And it was like one of those transcendental experiences that I guess people talk about when they meditate and they see a blue triangle, et cetera. And that is what our Houston show felt like. It felt like we were being lifted up. And like, I'm getting emotional about it right now. Like, it just, it was like everything that I hoped for people to take from this show in terms of joy and fulfillment and purpose just kind of culminated into an energy that was like, tangible it wasn't just a thought or a want it was some. it was like something i could actually hold that is what the houston show felt like the last night the last show in houston and there was a there were moments on stage where it was like whoa another show that felt like that chicago both shows in chicago just the first just that night in chicago there was a at a certain point in the night in chicago both my music director and our tech Both of them said that they shed a tear because it was the first time, even though we did incredible shows in these other cities, it was the first time that we really, truly saw not only the beauty of what what we were, you know, doing, but like we were experiencing it with folks and we saw this like reality of like the past, present and the future all at the same time. (sighs) No one can say I ain't deep, y'all. No one can say I ain't deep. And the uh, honorable mention for best black spurts of the Lituation 101 tour are both Roy Wood Jr. and Brandon Victor Dixon, who were on the same show in New York and were just, it was incredible. Like, in terms of, like, a show of talent, it was just like, this is not, like, fair. Like, that audience, like, y'all are lucky bastards. You understand? You saw one of Broadway's bests and one of stand-up comedy's bests ever both on the same stage at the same time and they brought their best. You know why they brought their best? Because they love me and I love them. That That one one time. time So this episode is essentially like a a long version of that one time and we are actually about to start a Smart, Funny and Black podcast where you'll be able to hear like full stories from my shows of Smart, Funny and Black and not only the Lituation Tour but stories that you would never hear that go on backstage and you know that go on 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 the road and that go on in the process of creating this show and um... I really can't wait to, to bring that to you. So we'll be able to give you visual, audio, and... Um different levels of, of uh, content that you're going to be able to get access to. So looking forward to that. And right now you can get access to all of our content. You can go to our YouTube, which is YouTube backslash Amanda Seals. You can go to Smart, Funny, and Black's Instagram. And we are also consistently, like, building these things out. So make sure you, like, keep on track with that. You can get merch at our bookstore, sfbbookstore.com. And, you know, we, we really wanted to show people, like, the process – through which like these shows go down. So we started what's called Smart, Funny and black episodes, and they're on the Smart, Funny and Black Instagram, they're on our IGTV. So they're 10 minute episodes that take you through every city that we do on the tour, show you the drama, show you the comedy, they show you the background, the, the, the behind the scenes of how this shit gets done and you get to see this like dope ass team of young black folks putting it together. Bit by bit, putting it together. The Last Dose. Thank y'all. for so much for hanging out and just you know being patient with me as I took my little break before coming back for the next season of Small Doses you know this break was so needed also because you know you gotta have these different experiences to be able to come back and like elevate in life and elevate in your points of view and sharing those points of view with folks and I really got a chance to do that in my time off so thank you for for still wanting Small Doses and for keeping me uh, encouraged and reminding me like yes girl I'm listening I'm binging since I'm waiting for you to come back so thank you so much. There's more stuff to come with small doses. Just like there's more stuff to come with smart funny and black. There's just more stuff to come. And the reason there is that is because you guys have shown me that, you know, you appreciate the content that I that I create and I am so happy because I appreciate you all. And the inspiration that you give me for making this stuff because the way I work is that it's not just going to be it's just not it's not, it's not effective if it just serves me. I make work that not only serves me but serves the people. And Smart Funny and Black Situation 101 tour showed me that uh we're we're serving each other. And um we're,
1: we're serving, serving
0: it. it, you know, and it's necessary. And that's what community is. And there is a beautiful black community in this world, and there's a beautiful black community in this nation, and that there is a beautiful black American community that is thriving and that understands that all we got is us. And that's that came through on this Lituation 101 tour. And it's going to continue to keep pushing on. It's a good show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.